Ladies and gentlemen, this is Das Hobby, Germany's number one trading card show. And here are your hosts with the perfect podcast faces, Marcus and Dennis. Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, uh, another English episode that you're going to listen to today. Marcus, are you excited? Yes, of course, especially because it's English. Uh, but you, <laughs> you guys know in my first podcast, it's not my native language, but I try my best. But I'm uh, very looking forward uh, to our guest today. Yeah, you're not only looking forward, you're also good looking forward, Marcus. That is wonderful. <laughs> So, and yeah, like you said, we have a, a guest from, from overseas again, from actually Los Angeles at the, at the moment. Um, yeah, and uh, people might know our guest as she collects cards, a.k.a. Hannah. Welcome. What's up, guys? What's up, Dennis and Marcus? Um, thank you so much for having me. And sorry, I don't speak German. I wish I did. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thanks for um, kind of speaking English with us today. But yeah, really looking forward to our conversation and, and what we can chat about today. Okay, that's that's good to hear. So any any what, what do you connect with German? Any anything with Germany, anything that comes to mind? Uh, well, oh. you know, oh. my, my favorite soccer player did play in, in Germany for a bit, Son, uh Sonny. So love that. Uh, my husband's really into cars, so we've been wanting to go to uh, the factories out there. I used to work for a company called Google. And, uh, Never heard about know, it. What is it? Yeah, you know, it's it's just like one small tech company, but okay. uh, it used to run their Google Maps sales operations. And one of our big account executives were, was based out of Germany, and he was dealing with his customer base was like you know BMW, Volkswagen, um, some of the big automotives. And he really promised that if I come, he would show me around the factories. But it never happened during COVID. But yeah, we 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 love uh, you know the car industry and maybe we can talk about some of the reasons why you know i, I collect formula one cards but yeah uh, that's really it i've never been there but would love to visit soon okay that sounds sounds wonderful you're always welcome open invitation of course yes. but i don't know how's the weather now in hamburg but last time it was raining in hamburg and uh, oh. in frankfurt it was sun is shining i don't know <laughs> now it's sun is shining how is it now in, in hamburg <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Snowing. Like no, no storms. That's well, good weather <laughs> That's good. for us is no storms. It's, we have a yeah, very low I, bar weather-wise. Yeah. Maybe I'll visit during Oktoberfest. I mean, I think that would be great. But. Of course. So there, there we know. You know Hoimanson, uh, you know cars, and you know Oktoberfest. Perfect. <laughs> so now we take it from there. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> okay, so um, of course we have our wonderful trading card podcast here. So the the first question would be, how did you get into the hobby? When and what are you actually collecting these days? Yeah, and I'll try to keep it brief because you know I think we can take hours talking about this. Um, when Kobe Bryant passed away back in 2020 February, I was a big Kobe fan. You know, kind of like. All of my friends knew how how passionate I was um, in following him and just his journey and taking his mentality into school and work. Um, so when he passed away, it really brought a lot of sort of like thoughts and you know um, kind of question like I've been calling myself a Kobe fan for my my entire life, but all I really had of his sort of you know uh, 
you know, Remembrance was like a couple jerseys. Mm -hmm. So immediately I went to StockX and looked for his shoes. And this was the day after his passing. And the, the sneakers were going for like 3,000, 4,000 um, for like size 14. So I figured that's probably not going to be, you know, reasonable. And so I had a friend who was into uh, trading cards and sports cards at the time. And he sent me uh, a couple links to eBay listing of his 96 tops PSA 9 rookie cards. Decided to buy three of them around $200 each. And then two weeks later, they increased to $600 each. And, you know, COVID was happening. And I've always been kind of a, you know, interested investor. And so I saw an opportunity where I could marry uh, through my passion for sports and, um, you know, sort of investment aspect of things um, together. And so I've, you know, really fallen in love with that. And I think what really kept me in it uh, was really the people that I connected via my, my channels and my Instagram pages, where it, was, it never felt like I was in silo doing it by myself. But there was just a communal effort to really just collect things that we actually love and find things for each other that, you know, we know someone else might be interested in and sending those appropriate links. Um, who do I currently co collect? So I, I still do have quite a bit of LeBron collection going. I don't have any Kobe cards uh, anymore. There was a point in time, you know, about maybe a year ago when, I mean, I, I live in LA and Kobe cards just fly off the shelf always. But there was a point in time about a year ago when just everybody wanted my Kobe cards and it didn't you know, make sense to keep them uh, at, at the at the sort of values that I could kind of offload them for. Um, so currently, I, I collect. I, I have some LeBron cards, but mainly my main bread and butter has become Formula One cards. Uh, for two reasons: one, absolutely love those sports, and ended up opening those boxes at a very reasonable price when it first released in 2020 by Tops. But also, I think I enjoy it because uh, it has seen just a tremendous um, value increase that. It's hard for me to just kind of let those go um, and like move on to something else. And so I, I've really enjoyed and, and like the amount of people that I've met in the Formula One cards sort of community who, was, who never collected cards, but they came in because they're actually Formula One fans. That's been like incredible to, to build those networks. So that's why I kind of mainly collected it. Okay. Yeah, this is crazy because if I understand you right, you just started collecting buying your first cards just before covid was yeah. starting so just before the hype you start uh collecting the big hype let's let's say it like this yeah. right right i know you know there were some runs already happening in 2018 yeah. 19 but yeah i would say you know i was able to hop on to this amazing hobby and, and prior to this i really didn't really have a hobby i mean if you want to call hiking and you know running a hobby it's really not but um <laughs> I didn't have anything, you know, interesting, you know, aside from like sort of work and, and, you know, my, my family, but yeah, it really gave me an escape out of sort of the mundane day to day, I would say, and brought a lot of excitement, uh, especially through, you know, the social media and content creating part, part of it. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Yes, especially the Formula 1, I, I have to say in Germany, also it's coming uh, more and more and I, uh, I have the feeling it's not ending 
So mm. the, the the trend in Formula One, uh, I don't know, we have a card show some weeks mm -hmm. ago here in Germany in Kaiserslautern. It was one of the biggest card shows we had in Germany. And yes. um, they, they opened, the, I don't know the name of the box now, but it was uh, where only seven cards are in, um, I don't know. Is it the Dynasty? Maybe? Yeah, exactly. They opened yeah. the Dynasty and what, everyone was going crazy with, with this box. And I have the feeling it's not ending, especially in, in Formula One. Um, yeah. And also I have to say me personally, Now I'm starting looking again Formula One mm. because it makes now more fun. It's not uh, clear who's winning. So now it's right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and the Schumacher name I know in Germany uh, <laughs> is it's like, you know, uh, it's nothing to overlook. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely becoming more even level field. And, you know, I think there's like history where when there's not much of an innovation aspect in the cars, it's very clear who's going to win for how many years. But now we have a very young generation of, you know, six, seven drivers who are all 21, 22 years old, all in sort of similar cars, obviously some more superior than the other, um, but with contracts being shorter as well, it's just a little bit more exciting than it was before. Um, and then it's incredible, you know, technology based now. So it's not just, how good is a driver, but it's a lot of it is dependent on sort of the improvements they make on the car every race. So it's, it's very exciting times. Um, so yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, Germany is struggling now because I read like yesterday or the day before that it might be that next season we have no formula one driver coming from Germany since 1981 yeah. or something. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. let's see if I uh, get to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have a driver's license, but nobody's calling me. <laughs> I don't know, like, it's not my mistake, obviously, so I would do it. Um, but, but I mean, especially in the US where you're based, like, Formula One, also, like, the whole sport got way more attention the past years, especially also through this Netflix show, Drive to Survive. I heard a lot of people jumped into that. That's right, and I think it's just a testament of the power of Netflix here in the States and across the world as well. Um, you know, through Netflix, we're seeing, you know, international films becoming number one viewed film, et cetera. I don't think those plat platforms were necessarily available in the past. Like, for example, I don't know if you guys have watched Squid Games. It's mm -hmm. entirely in Korean language. Nothing is in English. However, it just became an insane sensation across the world. So similarly, you know, while Formula One in the past have, you know, predominantly been in Middle East and European sort of like fan base, I think through Netflix, I think, um, and of course, there's a lot of dramatic, you know, like accentuation on, on the, in the series that necessarily may not reflect reality as, as with all things. Um, but those things really kind of caught fire. Um, and Netflix did a tremendous job of like putting it in the right eyes, right audience. Um, and then kind of in, with synergy with that, you know, with Austin already being here, but Miami starting this year and then Vegas being planned for next year, it's just a ton of, you know, opportunity for fans to engage, um, you know, more directly, not just on their TV. And, you know, obviously like there's a ton of billions of dollars going into this industry currently um, by one of the wealthiest people, um, you know, in the world. I think there's a lot of synergy working out. And then I think most of all, what I find like, you know, really, really surprising is how, you know, sort of the, you know, athletes that we really respect and we follow after, for example, Tom Brady, uh, Serena Williams, uh, these kind of like top athletes cheering for Formula One drivers and Formula One teams, I think is a great testament of like how much, uh, you know, influence Formula One has already in the sports uh, space. 
so seeing all of that kind of roll together, I would say is just kind of getting started. And uh, yeah, can't wait for it to kind of become greater here. Yeah. How is it then in, do you also have uh, NASCAR? Or is it, if you like cars, is it then NASCAR something different where people, it's very niche, where yeah, not all people who like Formula 1 like NASCAR? How is it then? Because in, in Germany, NASCAR is not, not, a not sport. really yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, I would say NASCAR has not kind of picked up the steam yet here either. For many, many different reasons. Um, I mean, just one, I mean, this is me kind of, you know, thinking about a, at a macro level, um, there's just not enough sort of sponsorship and uh, investments going into NASCAR. Mm -hmm. And then two, sort of the, the rule of the game in NASCAR is not as exciting as Formula One. It truly is just like going in circles, it feels like, um, you know, the, the capacity and the capability of the cars are nowhere close to Formula One. And the drivers themselves, while, you know, there are a select few that are insanely great drivers, mm. uh, it's, it's hard to say they could even compete in Formula 4 or 3. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it feels like um, sort of like a small, smaller league. Mm. I mean, by no means doesn't mean that they can't catch fire and, like, gate that popularity. Um, but for now, because of Formula 1 kind of, I mean, through Formula 1, who knows, right? Like, the GP sports and motorsports might, you know, all see... Um, a rise in popularity and attention but you know sentiment is similar here in nascar that it's not as exciting as formula one i think kimmy raikkonen is is joining nascar uh, coming out of retirement okay who knows that might kind of gain some international attention mm -hmm. okay interesting um so but when you say you collect formula one what 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 specifically do you collect do you say collect certain drivers teams how, how do you collect Yeah, I mean, I'm, I have a very boring style of collection. I don't really uh, have exciting sort of uh, players or drivers in my collection. I try to kind of go for um, folks that I, I respect who tend to have more years under their belt and uh, have kind of proven themselves as like one of the top sort of, you know, in their industry. So LeBron, Kobe uh, in, in basketball, but in, in Formula One, it would be Lewis Hamilton. And unfortunately, fortunately, I've, you know, the, the, a lot of the polls, big polls that I had earlier on when the 2020 uh, Tops uh, series released were Max Verstappen. Don't really like Max Verstappen because I'm a Lewis, big Lewis fan um, because of what happened last season. But I just ended up having a lot of Max cards um, and also sold a lot of them, but still have a ton of them, a lot of exposure. So at least in Formula One cards, uh, it's Lewis and Max that really, um, you know, I, I collect, you know, yeah. Okay, okay. Interesting. And how is the how is the scene over there? How is, how is the community, Formula One community? Is it worldwide to most people from the US or how, how, how is it looking? Yeah, it's definitely more worldwide than the big three sports here in the States. Uh, I would say it's pretty evenly split. Uh, obviously me being based in the States, I, I interact with a ton of, uh, you know, folks based here, but a lot of them may not even be, you know, Americans, right? They yeah. are, you know, British folks living in the States or German folks living in the States. Um, and so I would say evenly split 50, 50, a ton of, uh, collectors out in the UK, obviously, you know, the UK having, I think three British drivers, George Russell, Lewis Hamilton, and Lando Norris, A big sport there and also a ton of um you know southeast asian collectors who are into formula one mm -hmm. that i actually don't understand fully still i mean japan obviously big car scenes but 
they really historically have not had that many, I think two or three Japanese drivers in Formula One. Yuki Tsunoda is currently active one uh, as well, but I really don't understand the connection, but they absolutely love that, that speed aspect and, and you know, the, the race. There's obviously Suzuka in Singapore or in Japan and then Singapore has their own GP and then I think Shanghai might have their own next year. So maybe those are some of the reasons, but yeah, I would say it's pretty evenly split 50-50. Okay. Interesting. I want to come back to your start because if, uh, if you said you start mainly just before COVID starts and now um, if, if I go through your Instagram profile, um, which we also, of course, have linked in our um, uh, podcast description, um, you, you see you met a lot of very interesting people already in, in the hobby. Uh, if I just see George Luber, Ken Golden, um, I don't know, uh, just to name a, a few of them. Uh, can you, because we have also a lot of new uh, collectors in our hobby, but also let's call them old dogs or whatever, but uh, who are already longer in our podcast. I know, I think you know also Helge, uh, <laughs> right? He's... Uh, yeah the most uh, guest uh, participate guest in our podcast. He was four times in our podcast. <laughs> um, can you take us a bit how you uh, train or learn by yourself uh, in, in this years now that you come now to this state, what you have today and how uh, the, the people you met already help you in, in your collecting life? Um, yeah, um, I would say I'm a product of the people that I've been very fortunate enough to meet network with and even have you know, uh, relationships with. And I say that because it's been so short for me, right? In, in retrospect, two and a half, three years is not a long time to kind of understand a market to uh, its fullest. And by no means have I kind of grasped like the entire uh, industry at all. Uh, but I would say it's like two folds. One, um, you know, like the, the card collecting industry is not so large um, of a, you know, scale yet enough that it, it would take a person 10 years to learn. But I think when you understand the fundamentals of a natural cycle of a business and the investor thoughts, because in this hobby, we have a, a very clear delineation of those who came in to make money. Not that that's a bad thing. We, we all need some kind of money to, to you know, live. Um, and then there's definitely folks that are purely collecting, meaning they do not care about sort of the value of the card, but what matters to them most is that connectability to the card and the, the significance of the card and what it symbolizes. Mm -hmm. So it's one, very psychological, and two, um, it's, it's, it's like any other sort of, you know, market-driven, uh, capitalism-driven market. And so I had a little bit of understanding of that. Like I mentioned, have invested, uh, you know, quite a bit before coming in and also having worked in sort of hyper-growth uh, organizations and seeing like the leaders, how they think, how they make decisions, uh, how they operate at companies like Netflix, Box, Google. I had an understanding of where this could potentially go. Right. So you start to play out some of the similarities, um, you know, from sort of, you know, of, of course, entirely different, but similar in sort of like hyper growth stage um, to to this new industry or not new, but this industry that's experiencing hyper growth, um, you know, as a whole. So I, I had a little bit of that. But in terms of like the collector psyche, I had to learn that quite a bit. Um, so meeting with folks, you know, like you mentioned, the names you mentioned, and there are a ton of other folks 
Um, there's, there's Mike, who I always mention uh, 0.4 seconds on Instagram. He really helped me steer uh, in the right direction in a pivotal moment when I was kind of going into a path, a, a very deep hole, kind of pulled me out and helped me level set of this sort of like clear delineation of like, you can't think of a card as the life of a card in your hands that's just a month or two months. Um, but really look at the long-term value of these things. And I was able to see that. And then there's surprisingly a big overlap of folks who are in the card collecting scene with art. So mm. uh, chased after artworks. And so there's also a lot of similarities in that. Um, not all sports cards or trading cards are in that category, but there's some overlap in those two Venn diagrams. And got to learn a lot um, you know, from those folks about sort of the inherent value of something that is so rare and desired essentially what it comes down to is when you have two people who want a certain item whether it's a trading card or a sports card or whiskey or a type of watch um, and those two folks have unlimited discretionary income uh, you know you're really um, just it's really up to who wants it more right Mm -hmm. Um, so understanding those sort of like psyche of uh, you know collectors was, was incredibly helpful in meeting with these folks. Um, so, and overall, I would say I maybe brought in like maybe 10, 15% of my own sort of uh, understanding and concept of what an investment should look like. And then the majority, 80, 85% of it was really built around by talking with a lot of the industry leaders, you know, kind of understanding, like trying to understand as much as I can sort of macro movements of things. So for example, when Fanatics took over uh, or not took over, but when Fanatics bought out the business, uh, the, the licenses from from uh, Tops and, and Panini, now uh, kind of acquiring Tops at a, at a very uh, affordable discount uh, for them. You know, I think the initial response for a lot of folks were just, especially if you're involved in the industry, you know, um, whether as a reseller or distributor, I think it was, it was not a pleasant one, but I got a chance to kind of step back and take this as a case study understanding like why why would a company uh like fanatics with a huge uh you know presence in other sporting goods uh with a very good uh sort of distribution model try to get into this space right um what what would be the benefits what would be you know sort of the cons for existing players things like that like kind of taking a step back um and being able to articulate that i think was only possible because i talked to and I listened to a lot of folks in the hobby. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that way to say, I mean, I absolutely enjoy these opportunities to be able to listen and learn from a lot of folks. Um, and I think I use my channel as a platform to kind of relay those messages as much as I can. Um, uh, legally, I can. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's been fun. Absolutely fun. Mm-hmm. And and what what brought you into content creation then? I mean, one thing is to collect and maybe show something here and there, but you are creating content. You want to what what's the, what's the purpose behind it? What's your what's your thinking? What's yeah. wrong with you? <laughs> that's uh, that's a very good question because prior to this channel, I have never ever engaged in any creative uh, you know means ever. Um, so when I started collecting, one thing that was very clear to me was there was not many women, at least publicly, trading, buying, and selling cards. Mm-hmm. So 99% of the engagements that I had were, hey, dude, hey, man, what's <laughs> up, man? 
and it, at first I was like very confused. Clearly my name says Hannah, but you know, it was so just, just casual and normal for everyone to be male in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I voiced that to the friend that who got me into the hobby and, you know, they, they kind of said, why don't you just try kind of like try to normalize it a little bit by having a YouTube channel or being on Twitch when you open boxes, something mm-hmm. like that to, to show that like there are actually women collecting. So I was like, okay, maybe. And then there was the whole aspect of like, oh, okay, so there's not many women publicly coming out and saying they're sports card collectors. There's actually not as many, even, even less Asian women mm-hmm. coming out and saying that they collect, right? So that kind of, you know, pushed me over um, to basically start this YouTube channel that I had no idea what I was doing initially. I just used my iPhone and didn't edit anything. It just went straight onto YouTube. Um, you know, just to kind of like basically bring normal, normalcy as much as I can, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, to, to show that, hey, if you are out there collecting as a woman, like it's, it's normal. Or even if you're not collecting yet and, you know, you, you may have turned away because you feel like you don't belong. That's absolutely not the case. It's actually really fun. And if you look at, you know, the stands of any uh, arena or stadium of a football game or a basketball game, whatever, it's, there's just as many women as men out there uh, who love sports, right? Um, so I felt like it, it needed, <laughs> I mean, I had this calling that I, I needed to kind of get that out there, whether it's 100 people watching or 10 people watching mm-hmm. the, the video. And thankfully, uh, I was able to get a lot of support from existing male collectors cool. who felt like that was, you know, absolutely needed and, you know, beneficial for the industry to get more diversity in and uh got a lot of support along the way i'm very thankful for that yeah. that's very good to hear i we we i i have to say that like we talk to a lot of people here and mostly like 98 percent are really positive and and everybody felt really welcoming and and welcomed from the community and also in germany you have those folks who are really open to share and mentor a little and help the younger younger mm-hmm. collectors. So what are there, are there any advices that you would give to, to people who come into the hobby or especially women who come into the hobby or girls come into the hobby? Like any, anything that you want to share? Hmm. Well, Listen to the last hobby <laughs> podcast is one. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm in any position to give any advice, but if, you know, if I was kind of talking to a new collector, I would say, don't be afraid to like actually just reach out to people, whether it's on social media or on YouTube comments or anything, because one, one unique thing about the hobby is everyone is having so much fun that they will, they will share whatever information with you just because of the pure love for the hobby. Mm. That makes sense. Like you don't see people, it's almost like you go into a grocery store and everyone's grabbing you and telling you all these deals that are, that are at the shop. That's what it kind of feels like this community where we're, we're just so obsessed and so like in in like tune with with the hobby that even if a new person that i've never met before digitally reaches out to me asking about something like hey like is this box a decent box to open or hey how did you get into the hobby like i'm writing essays about it right what is my thought what does the market think what's the downside of it what's the upside of it but hey here's ultimately your decision and best of luck let me know what you end up pulling Mm -hmm. right so i would say i mean not an advice really but just like don't like just do it like just reach out if you have questions like everyone can be beneficial to you and and helpful in your decision making um and if it's not if it ends up not being helpful then just like okay cool thanks for chatting and and move on 
Um, but I think, yeah, that that's definitely been a, fu- a fun part for me. And I hope people take advantage of that. Great. To look a bit in the future, you mentioned already the, the Fanatics Tops Panini um, future, let's say it like this. Uh, how do you, what do you think from your personal, where the, the hobby looks like in, I don't know, two, three years when Fanatics took over? What will change or what do you hope will change? Um, can you share a bit your thoughts about that? Yeah, well, my hope is that the box prices won't be that high <laughs> when it finally comes to the end end user. I mean, that's definitely one. I think, you know, obviously there's a lot of folks, uh, you know, fr- that I'm friends with as well who, you know, monetize on this and, you know, they make a living out of it. I mean, I hope that, you know, margin is still existent, uh, you know, in the future as well. But, you know, I think the prices that of the boxes today is just uh, gotten to a point where no parent of the right mind would buy their six-year-old, eight-year-old um, as those boxes were actually designed for. If you look at the boxes, it all says ages six and up would actually buy those boxes for them, right? So it kind of takes away an opportunity for family to enjoy this together or for um, more diverse age group um, to, to enjoy or even like socioeconomics, right? Uh, more, um, you know, middle class or lower class to enjoy. And I think hopefully that that's the vision and, I, and in alignment with that, I I'm hoping and I'm thinking that Fanatics will come up with uh, a strategic way where they kind of have a segment uh, of um, products that's designed more for younger children, for families to enjoy, and for middle to lower, uh, you know, socioeconomic, you know, folks. I mean, it doesn't even have to be like socioeconomic, but like something casual that you can just really become, uh, you know, like kind of dip your toes with. Like, you know, I, I, personally wouldn't get into something that I have absolutely no idea about spending $10,000 on a box or something, you know, it just doesn't jive well. So I hope it brings out more of an even level leveling field mm-hmm. and also, um, you know, just an opportunity for everyone to enjoy. And so my guess and hypothesis is that, uh, or forecast is, you know, by fanatics, uh, a bigger sort of, you know, sort of well-oiled distribution machine to come in in two to three years, uh, or three years, I guess, um, that our hobby will be sort of bigger by volume. So let's say there's, you know, sort of active 50,000 people today, um, maybe definitely less than 100,000 people across the world kind of actively, uh, you know, choosing this as a hobby. Maybe it would double that. Maybe it would, you know, quadruple that. Who knows? But I, I hope that it becomes more of a, a normal uh, you know, activity and hobby for more people. And I think that's good for everyone, uh, right? That it's not some secret thing that you do um, that only your wife knows about or your husband knows about, but like it just becomes like a normal thing, like kind of like going to a baseball game, just as casual for you to spend the night at the house opening boxes or trading, um, stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah. Sounds great. Let's hope for that. I have to say, I don't know if you um, hear about the situation we have here in, in Europe or Germany. It's for us, it's also the how to get the boxes. Sometimes it's not that easy right. to, to buy the boxes here. And, right. and if you could buy, the prices are much higher because you have to import them. Um, and also, of course, here in Germany uh, and, and, and Europe, mm-hmm. there's a hope that the fanatics also do their part in Europe. Um, yeah. That's also cool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have a big passion. So a couple, couple points that I'm very passionate about in the hobby. And one of the biggest one is definitely globalization of uh, the industry. I think historically, because of where the manufacturers sit, 
and the culture aspect of it, right? You know, majority of folks who get into it in the in the states in North America is is through you know your dad gave it to you or like you open packs with your dad, things like that. Um, and that's just like the origin of the hobby. However, that doesn't mean just because baseball started here doesn't mean baseball is not a popular sport, uh, you know, anywhere else in the world. So I, I really hope and whatever ways I can to kind of connect the dots um, across the world and make it again more of an even level field for everyone is definitely something that I am passionate and I will do whatever I can to kind of make that happen. And distribution of products is definitely a big one, um, uh, you know. And then creating, you know, marketplace, all of that is 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 a huge aspect of all of this. I know that international collectors and you know investors rely heavily on eBay to purchase, to buy, to sell, uh, even. Um, and then trading is quite difficult. Um, not until recently were there no sort of trade shows that were kind of happening across you know, in Western Europe, Eastern Europe, Middle East, Asia, et cetera. And so um, just really hoping that that, you know, becomes better and better each year, um, you know, that as, as we kind of observe the hobby um, and that, you know, we, we make it into more of a level, even field for, for everyone. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. I th also think it's important because in uh, in Germany, like even the companies tell you, like we can't get the product, like we cannot get yeah. our own product at the end of right. the day. I mean, Panini is from Italy originally. They struggle with getting NBA product over here. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, it's, it's really complicated. It's really yeah. It's, uh, Do something, it Hannah. Do something. <laughs> That's why we have this podcast here. We're reaching yeah. out to you. We are helpless. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, like, you know, without going into details, it is definitely something that, you know, a lot of the leaders in the big companies are, are talk, uh, you know, talking and thinking about. Um, but obviously, I think there's not as much urgency to do that currently. You know, when, when things are good and well, you know, you don't really think about where can I improve. But mm -hmm. I actually think that when things are running well, it, it, is a, it is the right time to kind of think about how can we, um, kind of improve the hobby um, and you know when there is a downturn how can we make sure that you know it doesn't completely plummet in one country specifically but uh, you know we kind of have a you know whole sort of like global perspective on this and so yeah it is definitely something that people are thinking about and there's obviously noises right like in a positive way you know folks like you guys there's tons of people around the world who are kind of voicing this directly to fanatics collectors you know, PVCC, Golden, you know, whatever you, you want to call and kind of voicing like how sort of the, the, the lack of infrastructure is deterring away potential new collectors um, who are yeah. well-meaned and, you know, really want to get into it. And so I'm really hoping that something does happen, but in whatever capacity I can, I'll, I'll, I'll try to help push. Thank you so much. <laughs> finally, finally, somebody who helps us. It was. It's. It's. No, it's Helga. Really... Helga is the biggest ambassador. I'll tell you that. Yeah, Helga is a great guy. I love this guy. <laughs> really. Yeah, he was also at the Kaiserslautern show, like at the, in the end of of May. Um, it was actually a wonderful, wonderful experience. It they they had it in in the VIP area of the soccer stadium in Germany, and mm -hmm. um, so you had the 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 soccer stadium in the back. It was it was wonderful. That's those are the very yeah. nice. And Helga is going to have his own show in Munich. Exactly. Uh, in November. Oh, wow. Uh, when we have an NFL uh, game here this year for the first time, regular season game. It's in Munich. Wow. And he, he does a um, trading card show the, sa the Saturday before the NFL game on Sunday. <laughs> Smart guy, right? Man, this guy. This guy. <laughs> always working. Always working. Yeah. 
right. Yeah, thank you so much for chatting with us. We have one last thing. I didn't prepare you for it. Are you a music fan? Do you listen to any specific music? Do you like music? Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean, again, like, I'm not very uh, culturally uh, educated. Well, um, the only band that I truly follow is BTS and you're going to judge me for it. So no, 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 yeah. no. We have a Spotify playlist, a Das Hobby Spotify uh -huh. playlist. Oh, and okay. every guest can add a song to this playlist. Right so on. I think it's time for BTS now then to join the playlist. What song? Oh, let's do Butter. Okay. Yeah. The Germans love butter. It's good. <laughs> We love butter. It's wonderful. <laughs> so thank you so much for for the time. Yeah. No. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, next time I join, hopefully I'll have some German under my belt and I can say some some cool things. But not yet. Not yet. I, I guess you're already on your way to the language course right now, probably. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm signing it up right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So thank you so much. It was wonderful. Yeah, thank you so much. Have a great day over there. Thank you. And uh, yeah, to hope to hope to see you soon. I'm actually in Los Angeles in October. Oh, because okay. we're going to shoot a TV show there. So I'm yeah, yeah. If you want to come, yeah, yeah, and we can maybe check out some hobby shops here. That'd be cool. And if you need anything from here, let me know. I need a I need a Porsche GT3. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me write it down. It's impossible to get one here. I'm sure Germany. I, I actually have a, like a little total unnecessary story, but I tell it anyway. So when I moved to, to the US in 2010, I had an Audi A5 Sportback over here. Okay. And we had a deal. I, I worked with some music clients and we had a deal with Audi. So they shipped our cars over there. Okay. Um, so and so. But that was a time where for, for to have a, like an international navigation system, they had to really actually put it manually on the car, right? So I went to the Audi facility, parked the car, went in, told them. When I came out, like eight Audi employees were standing around my car. I was like, what is this? So I was not aware that they didn't have the A5 Sportback in the US. So I oh. had the only A5 Sportback. Oh. And all the Audi people said, what is this? Where is this coming from? That's crazy. And, and my artist had an R8 and a Q7 with like way more fancier cars. But, But mine was the we little have that. Yeah. Star. I was the, finally, I was the star. Well deserved. <laughs> so that was an unnecessary story that had nothing to do with your hobby at the end of the day. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. Marcus wanted me to I tell the story. Um, he asked me <laughs> for it. So blame him. Oh my Thank you, guys. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye.